morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, November 15th, we're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18-31. to 31. In today's text, St. Paul reminds the Corinthian Christians where the power and wisdom of God for their salvation is found. It is not found in powerful signs or in eloquent wisdom, but it is found in Christ crucified. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Matt Wheatfelt. Pastor Wheatfelt serves as Assistant Vice President of Admissions and the Director of the Christ Academy Program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor Wheatfelt, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you, Pastor Apple. It's always good to be with you, and uh, it's a joy to be able to work through this text with you today. This is a fantastic text. This might be my favorite in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I, I would agree wholly. <laughs> So before we jump into the text, talk to us. How are things going there at the seminary? What kind of events do you have coming up? Yeah, so uh, things are going really well. We've had a very busy fall thus far, and um, we uh, just finished our Christ Academy College around Reformation, so a couple weeks ago now, and uh, we are uh, we just closed our early uh, priority acceptance application uh, period as well on November 1st. Uh, and so people are still welcome to apply. We will still be able to get you in for summer Greek uh, starting in June or for the fall. Uh, and uh, we have some really good scholarshiping available uh, for that is going to be due here come in a couple of weeks at the beginning of December. So please make sure you get your applications in so you can start working on the scholarship applications and uh, begin your studies here at Concordia Theological Seminary. Fantastic. Yeah, and if, if, if people have questions about how to go about that process or, or what's all involved, how do they get in touch with you? Absolutely. So you would give us, an, you would shoot us an email uh, at uh, admission at ctsfw.edu, or you're more than welcome to give us a phone call at 1-800-481-2155. Again, that's one 800 481 2155, and you'll be able to speak to our wonderful staff here at the seminary, our admissions counselors, and um, the administrative staff as well. Fantastic, fantastic. As a reminder as well to keep the faculty, the staff there at Concordia Theological Seminary in your prayers, as well as the students and those considering becoming students that they might serve the Lord in that capacity. Amen. So, Pastor Wheatfelt, we have, as we said, perhaps the best part of 1 Corinthians. There's still a lot of good stuff to come, but this is just such a fantastic section that we have today. Uh, we're really early in the epistle, so there's not a ton of context as, as to what Paul's already written. There is some that we should keep in mind. Uh, what do we need to know about the epistle and what Paul's already said to take us into this section today? Absolutely. So, um, like you said, Pastor Oppel, there's still a lot to uncover, unearth regarding um, what Paul is writing here uh, to the Corinthian church. And it's important to continue to remember that, like um, our uh, contemporary writers, um, Paul is writing because of a purpose. Uh, he's not just, you know, kind of out of the blue writing some sort of 
eloquent poetry or whatever, but he's he's writing into a particular situation at a given time in a particular place. And so um, Paul is writing to a church that's in utter conflict. There's divisions everywhere, as we will see uh, here uh, in our in this chapter, um, but also it'll continue on th- really through uh, the end of four uh, as Paul continues to unearth the, the 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 divisions and the conflicts that are going on here in the Corinthian church. And as you know, I, it, it almost seems as if these conflicts have become something of um, kind of a lure. That is, that that others are talking about this. People are taking uh, this to the other churches. It's it's not made its way back to Paul just because he is, you know, this this, this great pastor, this evangelist, missionary. Um, it it seems like this is kind of spreading to say. Oh wow, what's going on here in that with this group of people? Why are they why are they in such dire straits? Why is there so much conflict? Why is there so much division? And so it's uh and it, one of the reasons why that could be uh, that it's kind of drifting off into the 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 reaches of the of of the known world at that time is that uh, Corinth is a hub for trade. And so people are coming through Corinth, people are going out into the the rest of the known world and kind of spreading this news. And as the Christians move about uh, in this as well, they are probably also coming and saying, Wow, you wouldn't believe what's going on in Corinth. Uh, how, what kind of uh, divisions? What? How great? How sad this all is. Uh, because we are we're we're called to be one in Christ and to be brothers and sisters in that. So um, it, I can imagine that they they that as this continues to spread, um, it's not just an isolated incident that Paul is hearing about. And so he is coming into this situation to address them as a pastor. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that um, whether whether you're like uh, Paul, that is, um, in many ways, Paul is, um, you know, using our vernacular, a district president, one who's kind of, you know, keeping a group of churches um, in uh, in his care or you are pastor or church leader at in one particular location. Um, This is not an easy task. Um, it is not an easy task. It's not a fun task, but it's a task that the pastor does um, as he as he is there to as he is called to serve these people. He is called to speak the truth, uh, but he's also called to speak the truth in love. And so this this exhortation that he brings, uh, this calling out of the the wrongs that are are happening here within the congregation, are things that. Uh, Paul has to do. It's his vocation. It's his calling. It's who the Lord has called him to be um, uh, for these people. Uh, in as he receives his call um, on you know on the road to Damascus, and as that call continues to be affirmed, uh, as he goes on through his different missionary journeys, um, he he is called to to enter into this space to speak the truth in love. Um, and it's not an easy thing to do. It's 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 the same as um, a, as a parent or a caregiver, um, whether that's a, a parent, a teacher, uh, or the like. When wrong behavior happens, it has to be called out. Uh, when when especially as it 
it causes disruption within the body of the community. It it has to be called out and it has to has to be able to be worked through. And we know as Christians, the only way to work through that is through forgiveness is, that is given to us through Jesus Christ and him crucified that we'll get into as we continue through uh, this yeah. text, which, you know, I think Paul just nails nails each and every one of us um, as we are, um, you know, as, as we're sinners and as uh, we bring conflict into the different places uh, that we uh, we we are we are a part of, whether that be our congregation, that whether we be that be our our, our families, whether that be um, the communities that we are a part of. As sinners, we bring conflict into different places, and um, the Lord calls those who are around us to call us to task and to call us to repentance and uh, to exhort us to live a different life, a better life, a life that is really the good life, a life that is uh, first and foremost founded in repentance, in the confession of our sins, and that then um, is able to deal with the neighbor, not in the way of the law, but in the way of the gospel, giving them forgiveness, uh, speaking truth to them in love and not in a way that is um, not in a way that is for our own good or for our mo- own motivation, but a motivation that really encourages the brothers and it really uh, lifts up their cares and their needs ahead of our own. Yeah, the and the thing I love about this section and this first part of the epistle is is not only I mean Paul doesn't only say cut it out, guys. He does. He, he tells them, stop it, right? But it's not just that. He gives them the theological foundation for the reason their behavior needs to change. And that's where this section is just so beautiful, is because the, the power for this doesn't come from anything, from any will of man or any wisdom of man, but it comes from the most unlikely of places, according to our human wisdom and strength, the the cross of Christ. and And just the the totally upside down way that the Lord would work according to the way we do is just so wonderful. And it fits so well in so many different places of scripture. I really, I really see this text being the theology behind so many of the things that we see happen in the old Testament and new Testament alike, that, that this is the way that God works. He comes to us according to his power and his wisdom so that he would be the only one who receives the glory. He's the one who is responsible for our salvation. And then everything that we have flows out from that and from what he's done. And so it's just such a, it's a remarkable text, uh, one, one I'm looking forward to, to studying with you today. So let's take a look here. This is 1 Corinthians 1, beginning at verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's our text for today. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. And so, Pastor Wheatfelt, take us into that first verse of our text today, verse 18. Almost sounds like a, a, a thesis statement of sorts for this, this section, lays out the primary thought that he's going to develop. Absolutely. So as as you you are spot on, it is really the, the kind of the thesis statement for this this the this chunk. Uh, of the text. Now, w- one thing that I forgot to mention previously, um, this f- chapter one is really divided up into two sections. Um, yesterday, we talked about um, that the you know the the, thank- the greetings, the thanksgivings, and then from verse ten through seventeen, there is the report of the problems that are going on within the church, and now. He flips, and that's why verse 18 begins with this thesis statement, because now we're going to be focusing on the power of the cross of Christ and on how, um, as you so well, as you so eloquently said before, how the way that the world sees things are not the way that the Lord sees things, how the way, the way that the, 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 the world sees things, uh, will, will ultimately come to destruction. And the way that God sees things seems like foolishness to the, to, to the world. And that's where we start. So, um, you know, Paul starts the word of Christ is folly to those who are perishing. Now, uh, you know, the Greek word uh, for folly there uh, is morana. It's where we get the English word moron uh, from, which is, uh, you know, you know, it's, you know, in my, in my uh, 12, 12 year old uh, boy um, kind of mind, sometimes you just, you kind of got to chuckle at, at that. That's, you know, it's fun uh, working through the, you know, the etymology of words and uh, (laughs) how, how, but uh, it's, you know, it, it, for the word of the cross is it make uh, for the those who are perishing makes them moronic if you will and uh it is i mean it help just kind of helps frame that a little better and that you know it, it, it as paul kind of pushes forward it's that the it's the word it, he, he he'll continue to pound the word and so in many ways you know you we we one one would think you know th- that this idea of christ being uh, the word of God is something that isn't exclusive to John's gospel, that it is some, it, this kind of thought and philosophy, um, this theological construct is something that is kind of riddled throughout the whole of um, the whole of, of, of the early church at this time. And that the word and the cross being connected here, uh, and what, and which then leads one to say, so what is that? That word of the cross, and that word of the cross ultimately is, uh, you know, I think the the it, it is it is 
all that Christ does for us on the cross. It is the Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It is the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it ultimately is that it is finished. And as the text continues on, he breathes out his last. That's, you know, that's the total all forgiving sacrifice that Jesus gives for the uh, in way of the what is he being the word of God and that word um, carrying through in the way of the cross. It is humility. It is seen as weakness. And again, to those who are perishing, it appears to be folly. It appears to be foolishness. It appears to be moronic. But then he takes the turn uh, with, with the conclusion of the thesis statement, but to us, to those who are being saved, that is, those who have been called by faith, through given through the Holy Spirit, and um, who are now in the household of faith, no longer is this humility, is this seemingly weakness or folly or mor- moronis, being moronic. <laughs> uh, it, it is now the power of God, the power of God that appears to, uh, to us as those who are saved comes in the way that the world wants nothing to do with. The world wants power and might. The world wants uh, frankly, power and violence and uh, and violence upon violence in order to take things by force. But um, nothing good happens by force. The gospel does not work by force. The b- gospel is giving and forgiving and comes to us uh, in that way as well. So no longer um, do the things of God um, come in in the way of in the way of the law. That is, you, um, in the Old Testament, um, the the keeping of the law is is leads forward into one's salvation. But it is only through the blood of Christ. No longer is it the sacrificial blood. Uh, that is sacrificed in the tabernacle in the temple, but now it is the one-time, all-forgiving sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that is the full forgiveness of all of our sins. That is the power of God. That is the power of God, and that is what gives salvation to us who believe. And it looks completely backwards to those who see this world. I mean, it's it, 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 you just pause and think about the cross for a second, and you think about those who are surrounded by the cross, surrounded around the cross. The, 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 the crowd, the Pharisees, the, the scribes, the leaders of the people, they all ridicule and they mock and they jeer at Jesus. Even the soldiers, they see this as weakness, that um, it, it is, it is, there is nothing good happening here. There's, I mean, there, there, he is being overtaken by everyone. But then it is the centurion's faith, um, and as, as, as he sees Jesus dies, die, 
says truly this this is the son of god and um and 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 it is there then it is there that uh that, that, that then you know as as the crowds disperse the true power of god is 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 on display christ is you know christ is is you know partially enthroned in in the in the crib in bethlehem um that it, but he is fully you know taking his throne on the cross um and in many ways you know it 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 helps um kind of lay out then this the, a, you know this kind of two-part theology the theology of of the cross versus the theology of glory uh, the theology of, of of the cross is a theology that um, you know is, that, that highlights the fact that the fact that uh, Christ's um, humility is actually his strength is actually his power is actually his glory as opposed to the theology of glory would raise up um, things a- along the line of your power, your wealth, your success, and the like, as your the signs that it is God who, or how much God actually loves you. But that's not true. Um, that, 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 that you know anything in our in and of ourselves. Um, has nothing to do with the amount of, of love that God has shown to us. The, the, the sign of God's love is the cross of Jesus, is that he gave his only son to die for your sins. That is, that is the sign of God's love. Yeah, that's right. And, and the only thing that I would add or, or re-emphasize was something that you brought out toward the beginning is, is you were talking there about the connection between the word and the cross. So that as we read Paul in this verse, and really in this whole section— that the folly that the world sees is really twofold. There's folly that the world sees in the fact that God dies on the cross, and, and that's really what you're highlighting. But there's also folly in the fact that the way that God gets you what was earned on the cross is through preaching. Like, wait a second, preaching is what's going to give me this? And so I think there's really a, a twofold folly there that we need to see in this passage, the folly of the cross itself and the folly of the preaching of the cross. Both of those things are going to come through in this in this text. So as Paul then continues, he, he grounds his argument first in the Old Testament. He makes a quote there in, in verse 19. What's he, what's he quoting from? What's he getting at from that quote? Yeah, so he's quoting from uh, I, the the prophet Isaiah, uh, pro- the prophet Isaiah, uh, chapter twenty nine, verse fourteen. Uh, it it reads as the uh, as such. Um, Therefore, behold, Isaiah writes, I will again do wonderful things with the people, with wonders upon wonders, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning shall be hidden. Now, this is a text that we use at the end of the church year, um, which is, you know, quite, quite appropriate. I, I, I know, so our congregations on the historic lectionary, um, I know and my, my previous, uh, touches have all been with the, the three-year lectionary, and uh, it, it, it's something that continued to pop up um, in at the at kind of the last Sundays of the church year, uh, that the Lord is changing, uh, the, the Lord is, again, taking what was, to, what was seen as power and might and turning it on its ear. And so um, 
the Lord and the Lord is the one doing this. The Lord is the one that is at hand and he is the one that's reforming this and reshaping this. And he is the one now doing this so that he destroys what is seen as wisdom by those who see themselves as wise or as are, are who are wise in this world and who and 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 thwarts as the text says the discernment of the discerning and uh he 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 completely he again flips the way that the world would see this on its ear which is absolutely uh, amazing and astounding now as, as paul then continues from that old testament quotation he engages in a series of questions we saw this a little bit yesterday where he, he asked a series of questions in a row. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified? Now he's got a, a few more right here. Where's the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Again, several questions in a row. About two minutes here before the break, Pastor Wheatfield, maybe just get us started and we can pick up what we need to after the break. For sure. So Paul being a good... Hebrew rabbi. I mean, this is the way that the the, the Hebrew rabbis would 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 in, it would um, engage uh, their students through the asking of questions in order to make a point, make a thesis statement, um, ground that thesis statement in scripture, and then try to pull your hearers through your students through. Uh, you know, a very narrow understanding in order to have them come out the other side seeing the full picture. So he begins, um, so where is the wise one? Who Who is that wise one? Where is the scribe? Who is the, where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world. He he he's trying. What he, what Paul is doing here is 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 pulling the student through, trying to get them to think. Okay, so who who is who is the intelligent? Who is the wise person? Who is the who is the top scribe? The one that is. So who is the who is the thinker? Who is the writer? Who is the orator uh, in the debater of this of this age? And, uh, and and again, um, you know, then Lang concluding these thoughts with, has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? And 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 kind of then putting up these these three foundational pillars in order to just knock them down um, are these three kind of wise pillars, if you will, just to, just to, just to knock them down by saying, has not God done away with this in order that he may bring forth what true wisdom is and where that true wisdom is found? That's right, and that's what Paul's going to continue to expound for the Corinthians and for us as we pick up the text more on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Matt Wheatfelt this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that an investment with Lutheran Church Extension Fund exclusively supports LCMS ministries and church workers? That's right. LCEF ensures LCMS churches, schools, and organizations have access to the financial resources they need to sustain, strengthen, and start ministry work. In other words, 
You can feel good investing with LCEF because we share your Lutheran values and love for the church. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, November 15th. We're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31 with Pastor Matt Wheatfelt. He serves as Assistant Vice President of Admissions and Director of the Christ Academy Program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor Wheatfelt, prior to the break, we were talking about those questions that St. Paul brings up. He brings up who's the wise one, the scribe, the debater, just to say God's made this wisdom of the world foolish. From that point then in verse 21, he says, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Help us into that verse. Absolutely. So God, uh, the, the beautiful thing here is you know I think it encapsulates what you said on the other side of the break that the fool that 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 what the way that the Lord gives his gifts the way that the Lord continues to be known and to be able to share himself with us seems like utter foolishness seems like folly especially to the world um it, it the, the world wants to be given things on a silver platter the world wants to be given things um and the world actually does not want to be given things the world wants to actually take things the world wants to i mean in in in, in very much kind of this early americana way of thinking about things the world wants to pull itself up from its by its own bootstraps and to make it make it make a make itself known to the other um and that's not the way that the lord works the lord works through his loving and giving and continually giving and so you know i think 21 really highlights then kind of this idea uh between the world's foolishness versus god's wisdom what 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 is what is real wisdom where does true wisdom come from um, and so the world, you know, just because the world says something doesn't mean that it is right, that it is accurate or anything like that. Just because the world says this makes no sense or this is foolishness or this is folly doesn't mean that it actually is. Uh, just because you you say something over and over and over again or you're the loudest one in the room uh, doesn't mean that what you are saying is correct. Truth is found and is is founded upon tr- on, on real things, on accurate data, on um, on, on a firm foundation. And the truth that we have is founded and anchored in Christ and him crucified. And that will be what Paul continues to highlight for us as he works through uh, this text uh, the, the rest of the day. But the, the preaching, um, the, the, pre- the act of preaching, the world will say, in what way can this bring forth this, your salvation? In what way can this help 
anything. You know, the world looks at the the street side preacher uh, and, uh, you know, for good or for bad, whatever it is that they are doing, um, you know, the world more or less just mocks them. Um, the world simply says, you do not know what you are talking about, or you are a bigot, you're a homophobe, you're you're hateful, you're this, you're that, you're trying to control our choice, and you're trying to control our lives. Um, the fact of the matter is, it won't be too long before, um, you know, and I think that the day has come in many places where, um, you know, the, the, you know, it won't be just roadside preachers that the world is coming after to say, you are hateful, you bigot, we need to shut you up. Um, it is going to be, uh, it is, it, I think it is at our doorstep and I think it's going to be entering the gate, uh, sooner rather than later. And, uh, we'll be entering into a period of time, uh, where, uh, you know, it, it is going to be very difficult, uh, for us to be preaching the truth. And whereas the world does not see that lovingly, um, we preach Christ and Christ crucified and speak the truth in love, not because uh, it is fun or it is easier. We have some sort of moral high ground or we're trying to claim a moral high ground on the other, but simply because we actually care about them. We actually care about where they're going to be spending eternity, and uh, it. I mean that 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 may be that may seem um, you know uh, to them as hateful, but it is the most loving thing that we can possibly do. Now, as as Paul continues, then he he notes especially what some of these objections might be, or what the world is looking for, and he identifies two groups in verse twenty two. He says Jews on the one hand demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. Before he says what we preach in verse 23, talk to us about what those two demands are. Yeah, it's very interesting that, you know, Paul Paul pulls out these two. Uh, on the one hand, you know, Jesus is preaching to, uh, in G as Jesus is going through his ministry, he's preaching to the Jews. Uh, you know, that's where he is, you know, as he says to, um, um, as he says uh, to the woman um, uh, who, whose daughter is ill, you know, I came to to serve the lo the lost of the house of Israel. Um, it is not right that the master uh, gives the bread to to dogs. And then the woman so eloquently in faith says, but even the even the dogs will eat the breadcrumbs that come from the, the master's table. Um, so he is he's come to 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 preach to and and to 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 call the Jews back to faith. And so what happens over and over and over again? Well, Jesus does miracle after miracle after miracle. And what does, what do the most of the texts say? And they marveled and they wondered and they, you know, they, they really, they, 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 they saw these things and they, they, they were amazed at what they did. And yet uh, when Jesus lays out for them who he is, that he is the son of God, what happens? Everyone leaves him except for the disciples. Everyone goes away so that when you uh, enter into Jerusalem on, on uh, Palm Sunday, yeah, okay, yeah, you'll get the loud hosannas, but who is it that, that uh, Jesus spends his uh, his his uh, his his Monday Thursday with it is only his twelve. Uh, everyone else has has gone and and, and has gone away, and uh, it is it is ultimately then the 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 twelve uh, who are the faithful. 
and continue to follow along. So the Jews, they see their, they see and they demand their signs, but they don't actually have faith in that. And we know, we know that as, as Christians, we know that faith doesn't come from seeing. Christ our Lord says that uh, when it, when he, when he commends, uh, when it, when, when he commends Christians and um, in, in some way, you know, ex, exhorts uh, Thomas after the resurrection. Um, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Um, faith does not come by seeing, but faith comes um, by by the word of God. And so he he he, he uh, Paul hones in on the Jews. He also hones in on on the the Greeks as well. You remember Paul 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 preached to the Greeks or is preaching uh, presently to the Greeks and the Greeks. Greeks are the ones that are the ones that that wisdom really engulfs and encompasses everything that they do. And how does Paul interact with them? You look at Acts chapter 17, and he tries to go at them with wisdom. He tries to go at them in the way when he comes to Athens and is is speaking at the Acropolis. Uh, he he tries to show you know they he show that they have this space for the unknown God and. Paul comes to try to show them who the unknown, who for them the unknown God is, and is almost laughed out of town um, with 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 what they uh, with with their response. So he he's seen you know in Jesus how the Jews have 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 shunned Christ and actually when they when they truly seek wonders and miracles and signs and the 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 Greeks actually shun those who um, bring true wisdom, true godly wisdom to them. And uh, that, that, that this is, you know, it, 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 whether you give someone what they're actually wanting or not, their heart is turned inward. And so they are only going to focus on that which is important to them. That's right. So this is what Jews and Greeks look for. They look for signs and wisdom, but that is not what we preach, Paul says. We preach Christ crucified. He calls that a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, whether Jew or Greek, this is the power and the wisdom of God. Here's the, well, one of the very key verses in the section. <laughs> yeah, this is really the, this is really, I would, I would say, you know, the heart of of this First uh, Corinthians one, um, kind of lay out of what the what the, the the power of God in the cross of Christ. Uh, it takes it takes the the preaching, um, which is the vehicle through which the cross is given to God's people. Um, or I should say, a, one of the vehicles, it, the cross of Christ is given to us, obviously, in our baptisms, but um, it is also given to us through the preaching. We preach through that lens, uh, and that is what should be shaping and forming our, our, our sermons. Um, our pastors should be preaching Jesus into us, uh, and not just Jesus, not, you know, uh, you know, some sort of nebulous, you know, happy kind of go lucky uh, Jesus, but a Jesus that has been crucified for you, that Jesus that has been that has been crucified for you. And what does that mean? That Jesus has taken all of your sin, all of your guilt, all of your shame upon himself, and he has died for all of that. And instead of now you dying for your sins, he has absorbed that and has been the sacrifice for you. 
all for all time and in all places. And so, um, you know, as, when when the world hears this, whether it be Jews or or, or, or Gentiles, um, it is it is utterly dumbfounding. Uh, it is uh, it, it is the hardest thing to swallow. Um, why? Well, because because the Jews and the Greek, the Jews and the Gentiles alike want want something. What do they want? They want what the world wants. They want power and they want might. And uh, that's why, you know, the Palm Sunday, I'd mentioned that before, Palm Sunday is such a, uh, an interesting beast to deal with. Uh, you know, th th that is as close to coming to faith as the Jews perceivably do. Um, because what do they see? They see Jesus as, um, you know, as the one who's going to vanquish their foes, the one that's going to um, stop the evil um, Roman Empire from and remove them from, from, from this land that they are in. But Jesus hasn't come to do that. Jesus has come to deal with an even more powerful enemy, to deal with Satan himself, uh, who is the accuser uh, of, of, of the faithful. And he has come to deal with sin, and he has come to deal with death. Those three go together. Satan accuses is the uh, Satan is the accuser is the one that points uh, out to you and to our Lord what you have done wrong, how you have not kept the Lord's law. Sin uh, and death go together. Where sin is, their death is shortly after. Sin being the, 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 the wrong that we have done, but also the wrong that we have been born into through original sin. Death being the consequence of that, that original sin and the actual sin as well, and how that all works together. And so um, this is now, for the Jew and for the, the Gentile alike, a stumbling block, um, something that uh, will cause one to trip over, uh, that will cause one potentially even to fall down and to hurt oneself. And uh, folly, foolishness, uh, more uh, being a moron uh, to to the to the to the Gentile as well. This makes absolutely no sense. But to those who have been called to faith, those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus, this is the absolute power. Of God, this is God on His on uh, uh, showing His showing His power and His might and His glory in its fullest, and uh, He is showing that He is He is not one that simply just says things, but He is one that uh, continues to out relive and um, continues to forgive and continues to um, help his people along and continues to give his only begotten son for for you and for your sin and for the punishment that you deserve in order that you may be with him on in your in, in uh, on the last day that you may dwell with him in his fullness it's the plan he's had from the dawn of time it is the plan that uh, he continues it's the promise that he makes to adam and eve and continues to live out he is one that keeps his promises and continues uh, to, to to keep them for us I think what this verse says about the way that, on the one hand, the world reacts to this and the way Christians react to this preaching is very important for us, because I, I know as a pastor, this is a question that I will, will sometimes get, is that, well, pastor, 
these things are so obvious to me, that Jesus Christ is the Savior. He died for me, and he's the Savior of everyone. It's so obvious. And I'm talking to my, my friend or my family member who, who doesn't believe, and they just it's like talking to a brick wall. What's going on? This is what's going on, is that this message is foolishness to the world, and it's wisdom to us. And so whereas we receive it with great joy, it's received, as you've said multiple times, as moronic by the world. And the, the only way around this, again, is, is precisely what Paul's hammering at here, preach Christ crucified. It is through that preaching, as moronic as it seems, that's where the conversion actually happens. Why? This takes us to verse 25. The foolishness of God is wiser than anything we've got, and the power of God, or the weakness of God is stronger than anything we've got. So keep preaching. Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're spot on. And I mean, Paul, Paul hits the nail on the head. Like there, it doesn't like manly wisdom is utter foolishness in comparison, um, to, uh, to the, to God, man's wisdom is, is utterly foolish compared to the foolishness of God. Uh, like it is, he, there is no comparison. There's just no comparison to, um, what the Lord gives versus what man can cook up for himself. And, you know, God's strength is highlighted in weakness and what is seen as being foolish and in it being, um, and as it, as it as the Lord's Lord continues on to give and forgive, you know, that can seem like absolute foolishness. That can seem like it doesn't make any sense to man but it makes 100% sense to God and it makes and it it, it is it is uh, given and fulfilled through God for us as his people. And thanks be to God for that because uh you know I it, I you know you look at the way that the world is you look at the way that um, the world is going. I mean, we man cannot figure things out for himself, and I think within the you know the even more so, it's been highlighted um, time and time and time again from wars to rumors of wars to governments to everything. Man's wisdom is not working, uh, so, and thanks be to God that, uh, that, that, that that we have that as an example, that man's wisdom is not working, and we have, but we have, we have one that is much more wise than any man could ever possibly be. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, P- Pastor Wheatfield, just so that, that you're aware, we got about eight minutes here, so <laughs> and there's just so much in this text. This is one of those, I was like, should I split it into two or not? I wanted to take it together because this, what happens next does flow from this. Now he takes this theology and he starts applying it very concretely to the Corinthians. And, and he says something that might sound insulting. He says, well, think about yourselves, guys. You weren't very smart. You weren't very important. But God called you anyway. Uh, help us to see how he starts applying this now to the Corinthians themselves. For sure. And I think this is Paul being a great preacher. Um, you know, the task of the preacher is is not just to, you know, preach an eloquent sermon. You know, our goal is to preach an eloquent sermon. Um, our goal is to be winsome and uh, in, in, in way of uh, d- d- uh, laying out the faith. Even more so, we are called as preachers to um, give the, t- explain and apply the text and uh, to the to, to the life of the Christian, and how does that work for you? And that's what Paul does. He's laying out. He's laying out in twenty six. Okay, look 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 at who you are and wh- where you have come from. There's no nobility within you. Um, there is nothing uh, you know worldly that shows that you deserve 
what you have been given, that is forgiveness and life and salvation. There's nothing there. There's there's nothing there. Um, you are as as Paul writes. Um, not not many of you are are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you are are, are have that wisdom. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are of noble birth. There might be some here and there, but the, the on the whole, it is not it is not the whole group. Uh, nevertheless, the Lord has continued to give you. Um, what is what is so needful? What is what what he promises, and what will actually bring forth um, his forgiveness and his life for you? And so he, Paul goes into uh, twenty seven. Never, but but God chose what was foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak to shame the strong. So God God is working in a backwards seemingly way in order to then show his power show his life show his how he truly works and how he really is for you and in the way he gives all things to you yeah that's right and and i you know in terms of this sounds insulting but it's 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 just honest and we can all we can all feel this we know our own folly we know our own weaknesses and so to know that God calls us even in our folly and even in our weakness, even though though in the grand scheme of things, I'm just not that important of a person, God chose me. I mean, that is that is such precious gospel and such such a comfort that God would not judge according to the standards of this world, but he judges according to his son, Jesus Christ, who's died for me in, in, in what looks like weakness, but that is strength, and what it looks like folly, but that is actually wisdom of God to save me, even me. Foolish, weak, nothing though I am, God has saved even me. And this is just a fantastic gospel. And again, why I love this passage so much. Now, so again, take us to how this he then applies this. He, God does this so that ultimately no human being might boast in his presence. Got about four and a half and minutes I, here, Pastor Wheatbelt. Sounds good. Um, and I think that's, you know, that, that that is an important thing to, to kind of wrestle with, um, that God, why does God do this? Um, this seems, you know, why, you know, it, it it's so counterintuitive. It's so backward from the way that we think about things. Why does God do this? Why does God choose this? Well, he, you know, in, in, in one way, he, he chooses it because it's not the way that would make sense to work. Um, you know, it, it's not the way that, uh, that, 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 that the world's kind of mindset is 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 locked in on and how it should work it um it, it's 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 counterintuitive and in many ways uh, and maybe in all ways that's what it I mean, it faith it take faith takes uh what it has to do uh, in that way for not in order that it's not taken for granted it's a faith thing it faith has to believe this in order so that it may truly believe this and uh it it, it it it's since it's so counterintuitive uh to what to what we what it does but it also then causes us to solely through faith rely on the goodness of god to rely on him for his grace and for his mercy and as opposed to trying to work things out ourselves and, and as opposed to trying to have things our own way and to make our lives or to try to fit his, his, his truth into our lives, his truth instead covers our lives. His truth, in fact, defines 
our lives, who we are, and what what we have been given. And so, um, in that way, we can, we have no room to boast. We have no room to say, "I am strong. I am wise. I am. I have been faithful. I have been good. I have been whatever it is, whatever virtue you want to throw uh, into the mix." It is all gift, and it is all done for you by God who gives you these things. And thanks be to God for that, because if we're left to our own devices, we're going to screw it all up. Uh, There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, We are just going to screw it up. But he gives the gifts. He gives forgiveness and life and salvation. He gives faith. And that seems like absolute foolishness. To the world, but it is exactly how God chooses to to work for you, uh, and uh, that's the way that. Uh, and what, whereas His ways are not our ways, thanks be to God for that. Because if uh, His ways were our ways, we would be in a we would be in a whole heap of trouble, and uh, it would not it would not go very well for us. <laughs> yeah, that that's right. So so then, as as Paul wraps it up, then the the conclusion is. You are in Christ Jesus. So, yeah, you are. You were foolish. You weren't very smart. You were weak. But now you are in Christ. And Christ is wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And so because you're in Christ, now you don't need to boast in yourself. Rather, you can boast in the Lord. About a minute here, Pastor Wheatfield. Help us to wrap things up. Yeah, your boasting is not in yourself. Your boasting uh, is not in your accomplishments. Your boasting is not in the things that you have been able to do. Um, And, you know, thanks be to God for that, too, because, you know, the things that we do with our hands in this life are not, you know, we can, the Lord gives great gifts, but we also, um, we also struggle with many and various things. But the Lord is the one who is the is is who in, within whom our boasting is. Uh, the Lord is the one, and what He has given to us, forgiveness and life and salvation. Let us boast in those things. In they these things come to us from Jesus cross from Jesus Christ, His cross. Jesus crucified for you. Let us boast in these things. Uh, it is not about you. It is not about me. It is not about us. It is solely about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I think that's why this text today is just stands, you know, miles above anything that man can cook up and is just one of those amazing texts uh, of, of scripture, something that I think uh, our listeners can go back to time and time again when you are struggling uh, in this world, uh, when you are struggling with your friends and your family, with your coworkers and the like, um, w- w- folks who are not of the faith, reside in Christ, reside in his cross, and know that this isn't the way that the world works. They will reject. They will, but we are not called we are not called to convert. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who ultimately is the faith giver, uh, as Luther says in his small catechism. But it is ultimately, it is solely our job to do what? To preach Christ and him crucified. Pastor Matt Wheatfelt is the Assistant Vice President of Admissions and the Director of the Christ Academy Program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's been helping us today to study 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. Pastor Wheatfelt, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure, Pastor Apple. It's always a joy being with you.
It is folly to the world. It is weakness to the world. They seek after signs and wisdom, but we have something far better, Christ crucified. This preaching is the power and wisdom of God to save you and me, to save sinners. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.